0: Now, you know, 15 years almost removed from that time, I <laughs> can see how there are many people who've benefited from this. And, and that was not the intention to inflate my ego or like pat myself on the back, but it feels good. It feels good that this website and later
1: YouTube channel influence people. Hey everyone, welcome to Design Drives. In this episode, I had a very special honor to chat with Spencer Nugent, who actually had a large influence also on in my personal design journey, as he inspired me as a young teenager to start sketching and going into design with his blog sketchaday.com. Spencer has been working as both a designer and an educator, and we learn about the importance of visualization for all disciplines in the episode, how it helps to drive business impact as a designer and most importantly, why and how designers should take more responsibility to move the industry forward. On the one side, to drive more diversity and celebrate designers and design from different cultures and designers with different perspectives and approaches. But then also about the responsibility of designers to think about topics like behaviors and outcomes of your design both for mental health and the end user and consequences for habits users might create, but then also the planet. So I hope you enjoyed the episode super happy to have you, Spencer, talking to you today in the episode. Thanks for making the time.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invite.
1: Super honored to have you on the Design Drives podcast. So I think it would be really great for the audience if you could give maybe a slight introduction about yourself and maybe how you started out as a designer.
0: My history goes way back and it's fun to reflect on my journey. I actually started in hard sciences, math, computer science, physics, things like that. And I wanted to be a math teacher initially. That was my my goal in life, because I loved math in high school. Anyhow, had a friend in college who introduced me to industrial design, just said, hey, this is what I do. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. My father was chemist and businessman. And in the evenings, he would often paint. I would Find and painting, drawing, doing lots of portraits. And most of the kids in my family were exposed to at least some facet or aspect of visual communication and took to it. You know, we have an, an aptitude for it. And so when I discovered industrial design, I thought, wow, this, here's an opportunity for me to be creative, but also problem solve and use computers, which was my simplistic thinking at the time. And so I thought, why not give it a shot? So I left mathematics behind you know, midway through calculus, two differential equations, linear algebra, stuff like that, and jumped right in. And it was interesting because it was super challenging for me to kind of shift my brain a little bit into what I would consider to be loose visual creative thinking, and at the same time realize that mathematics is not that different than design in that there are formulas, tools that we apply in different ways. That makes sense to come up with solutions, making observations and using the tools we have. So went to school in Utah, Brigham Young University, did that and had an amazing time. It was a time where I just buried myself in my work. <laughs> just I, I get into this state, I guess, when I'm, when I'm engaged and love what I'm doing that you know, it's, it's the feeling you get when you wake up in the morning and it's all you can think about. So that was that was my existence for four years and had a lot of great experiences. got to do an internship with Astro Studios, their design firm in San Francisco. And at the time, the Xbox 360 had been released and it was a big deal. You know, so this was a, a killer opportunity for me. Um, and I can tell you more about that experience and how it affected my career later, if you like. Also had a chance to intern at General Motors in Detroit. And I wasn't a classically trained car designer. And so that one really pushed me. And it was a great experience, an opportunity to do something different. After college, ended up at Astro Studios after entertaining a lot of offers from different companies and did that for about two years. And then the financial crisis happened. <laughs> and if, you, if our listeners aren't Familiar. That was in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when the markets crashed and everyone was just like, "Oh shit, what do we do?" So, <laughs> at Astro Studios, we were slowly furloughed because they couldn't pay us. You know, things were that dire. And so, at the time, I'd been running Sketch a Day ID sketching with what would become my my future business partner, John Mullenkamp. And he and I set out to start our own design studio. You know, two years out of school thinking, hey, this is what we're going to do. And so we jumped right in, started a studio, and it was rough. It was rough. The first year and a half was just, it was, it was sad. You know, it was really hard. So, but we kept at it and eventually found successes and kept pushing along until, let's see, this would have been 2013. This is my whole story. 2013, we had done some work for a startup. And that startup was subsequently acquired. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting as I reflect back on that time, even I, I got a phone call randomly one day from, from that client and I pick up the phone and I'm like, Hey, he says, would you work for Google? And I thought, what are you talking about? And he's like, just answer the question. That's all. So they, they had been, they had been going through acquisition talks and, you know, Google was an option at the time. So ended up being another company I acquired them, a smart home company. And so I came back to Utah from California to work for a company called Vivint Smart Home and got involved in the IoT space for about six years. So it was a good experience and then I got to see the full product design process, but also exposed me to working with in closer tandem than I did as a consultant with product, product management and engineering and strategic planning and marketing and uh, sales and support and just being being a part of the whole machine, if you will, and eventually in the company, found my way into UX, not UI. I don't enjoy UI, but got into UX, and that was that was fun. That is that that's probably my favorite part of the design process is the strategic aspect. So came involved in uh, what was called new product initiatives, which was kind of early stage testing, prototyping discovery research for that company and had an absolute blast managed a small UX team but prior to that and then uh, moved into this uh, individual contributor role at a principal level within the company so did that for a while and then ultimately decided you know maybe I should do my own thing and in 2019 left and kind of just meandered for a bit I took some time to just breathe and you know, just disengage, I guess, a bit from the day in, day out design process that I was uh, engaged in. And that that created some space for me to kind of define who I wanted to be. And I've settled on the title of creator and educator. That's what I do. And started a little entity called 5050 Design. That's what I do now. <clears throat> and as the name or the the meaning behind the name or the reason is I wanted to always maintain time and space for myself to be creative but also you know you got to pay the bills so half in half out you know i i do consulting projects for clients um and i'm selective and I, i get to pick what i want to do but also maintaining that space to be creative and as i mentioned my siblings my family members we all have had some exposure to visual communication and creativity and it so happens my sister is kind of my partner in crime with this venture. And she's she's heavier on the UI side of things. She's actually a classically trained fine artist who made her way into UI. And so we, we kind of just work as a team. We come up with creative ideas. We have a few little projects um, that we work on behind the scenes, uh, self-initiated, just I guess more on the artistic side, but also take on client work. Um, aside from that, I was still engaged in uh, sketching, visual communication, uh, public speaking, advocacy, things like that. So that's 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 my my story, if you will.
1: Yeah. I mean, super interesting. There's a lot of things we could dig into, you know, and all that journey. I actually had Brett Lady also on a podcast some while ago uh, who, you know, I think, you know, from. Oh, he's, uh, he's a mentor of mine. Yeah. I think something you haven't mentioned was pointing out is the whole effort you did around sketchaday.com, which was actually quite an inspiration also to me when I was starting out as a, a young designer, basically, and trying to, you know, learn the creative tools. So how did that start out and what was the motivation behind that? And, you know, how did you uh, do it?
0: Yeah, so that that goes back to, if I were to... To really trace the roots of my passion for drawing visual communication, it was it was born out of the struggle of coming from that math background and having to really learn to see things for what they are and find ways to express them. I I remember my first day in college, my professor shared a quote with us, and he said, at the time, I'll, I'll give the more politically correct <laughs> version of the quote, but at the time he said, A man who cannot communicate their ideas is on the same plane as one who ideas who has no ideas, or in other words, a person who has, a person who cannot communicate their ideas is on the same level as someone who cannot. And what that meant was, hey, it's really important to be able to visually communicate, to express your ideas through whatever means possible. And at the time that meant sketching, rapid visualization, quick ideation, things like that. So I really dug in there. Fast forward to, you know, a year or two into college, I was the the teaching assistant i was leading the sketch labs i was really pushing for visual communication excellence within the program and ended up teaching even a class as a student so because of that experience i think having graduated and when you when you transition from being a student to a full-time employee i feel as though your work and approach change changes significantly whereas as a student Everything's task-based and pretty what I would consider to be prescribed, at least as an undergraduate. Hey, we need 50 sketches. Hey, you need to do three hours of research. Hey, you need to do uh five renderings or whatever. There are definitive uh milestones and and targets given to you. Whereas professionally, it's here's the project to use the tools and knowledge you have. So I felt as though there were some gaps in that experience as opposed to being a student where I was constantly sharpening my skills. I was constantly drawing or (laughs) using those hard skills. And I wanted to maintain that. So fast forward to Astro Studios now. I'm there with my friend, John, and we were watching a YouTube video one day of someone sketching a car. And this was before YouTube was even huge. I think Facebook was maybe a couple years old. The iPhone had just come out. And so we're watching this video and thinking, what? The hell is this? This is terrible. It was so bad. <laughs> and he and I, you know, we'd, we'd actually, and, and just to give a little bit more context, we were classmates in college. I had, I had uh, introduced Astro or him to Astro and they ended up hiring him. So we were coworkers now, which was awesome. We sat next to each other and we would just play off each other's energy and push each other. So it was a natural transition to say, Hey, let's do this together. And in that conversation, I remember saying, or he, he said, Hey, we should just do our own YouTube channel. And I mean, in hindsight, I kind of wish I'd stuck with that, but more on that later. So (laughs) that went to, well, if we're going to do a YouTube channel, let's do a blog. And then he was like, well, if you're going to do a blog, let's just do a website, you know, because websites were the thing then. And so not knowing anything, but absolutely convinced this is what we wanted to do in our spare time set out and i remember teaching myself you know i had some computer science uh knowledge here and there i wasn't super deep in it but i taught myself php and uh mysql databases built a cms from the ground up pro tip if you're going to build a website at least google and figure out what's there first i mean i was i was just determined to make it my own so you know got server space and uh, coded the the whole back end and did everything and then found out after we launched the site that it was just crashing and crashing when it first launched because it was a big deal, you know, core 77 picked it up. I think uh, even Yanko design was posting things from time to time and that would just like completely crush the site. And so we had to shut it down (laughs) for a minute and we said, okay, let's figure this out. And lo and behold, there's this thing called WordPress and it's free. Let's do that. So we did that. And that was the ID sketching blog and the intention there was to create a place for students to have uh, reasonable resources for visual communication, you know, back in the day you're familiar with Scott Robertson awesome super influential super talented. what I would consider to be visual creative now, industrial design background, taught at Art Center, all this stuff. He had resources, but those were uh, pay resources. There's also the Nomen workshop as well that produced a series of DVDs and, and resources online that was also paid. And as a student, I didn't have a lot of money, I didn't have resources, and I wanted to create something free. And I've stood by that. You know, I, I'll always share some knowledge for free, I won't give it all away, but that was kind of my operating principle or value is that I wanted to give back right so that's what keeps me doing what I do is giving back so not only is it you know encouraging to hear stories like yours or others where now you know 15 years almost removed from that time i <laughs> can see how there are many people who have benefited from this and and that was not the intention to inflate my ego or like pat myself on the back but it feels good it feels good that this website and later youtube channel talk about why turn into sketchaday.com influence people so id sketching was a thing it was very industrial design focused uh techniques tools tips that kind of thing and even as i was doing id sketching like i mentioned wanting to consistently sharpen my skills i gave myself a challenge sketch a day and that was a feature of id sketching Okay. So that was a subset. Yeah. So there were sketch a day posts and I would post every day. And then I broke that out into its own website, sketchaday.com, where I just upload. And this was, I think even before Instagram was really big. So I would just upload a photo every day of a sketch. And that was fun, fun experiment and decided, you know, I want to do more than just industrial design. So kind of deprecated the ID sketching thing. Put it to bed you know there was there were forums and there was a community we were trying to build but it, it became a lot to manage uh we had partnered with a few people back then as well uh, michael de jeff smith and a few others to also produce content but you know it didn't really have a clear vision of where that was gonna go and like i said i wanted to do more than industrial design so kind of flipped things a bit and made sketch a day a more impactful thing it had its or I created a YouTube channel uh, for that face or the yeah Facebook Instagram properties as well and those kind of just blew up. So in that sense it was a good move. What I what I meant earlier about the YouTube channel is you know had I gotten in early enough on YouTube and been consistent with it it would be insanely huge now. Now it's a different game, but it's still fun. And as far as community goes, cuz we talked a little bit prior to the conversation here about the ID sketching forums, I've recently as recently as last year anyways created my own discord server for sketch a day and that's been good it's a place where people can interact ask questions kind of similar vibe and feel to what the forums and community was was back then so That's the, that's the sketchy day story.
1: Yeah. I mean, super amazing to hear that story. And I was, you know, following it quite closely, especially uh, when I was starting out. I think what's, what you just mentioned is super interesting. It's so hard to stay consistent. What you just mentioned about your YouTube channel as well, right? Yeah. So hard to stay consistent with the content over a long period of time. And I can also really see what you mean with, you know, giving back. It's, it's a really, you know, powerful thing. If you hear someone reaching out and they found value in what you do. I, I, it's the same with you know this podcast. It's I always find this very motivating, right? But besides that, how do you keep that motivation over a long period of time, uh, basically to you know push out that content and you know, create <laughs> that value for people? Is it just the passion that kind of that you have in sketching? That
0: you know, one thing I've learned in life is if if you want to get something done, you, we set goals. Right. So that just as a general principle, you might say, Hey, I'm trying to achieve this, this year, this month, this quarter, whatever this day. So I have daily goals and I have quarterly and yearly goals. And I try to make sure those relate to each other. So not only is it about setting goals, whether that goal is, or lifetime goal. Hey, I'm going to sketch every day, right? That's a goal. The other facet or component of a goal is make yourself accountable. And when you make yourself accountable to the entire internet, it is quite the feeling of encouragement and pressure. In other words, you know, you might set a goal with a friend and say, "Hey, I'm trying to lose some weight, or I'm trying to increase my my bicep size or my bench press uh, weight limit, whatever." And your friend might check in, say, "Hey, how's it going? You know, how's how's that goal? You have an accountability partner." Well, with the internet, if you if you slip up, if you skip, if you mess up, oh man, they keep you, they keep you honest, they keep turning you your toes. I've, I've done sketches that you know have messed up perspective or whatever, and someone will be like, hey, that's wrong. And at that point, you have a choice. You can be defensive where you can go, oh, thank you for pointing that out. I'm going to do better. And so in some ways, it's helped me become better. But as far as motivation, yes, knowing that people expect this and will call me out. You know i've made myself accountable i made that choice that motivates me now there are days where i don't want to do it i'm not going to lie there there are days where i just say screw it i'm not doing this today <laughs> and i i take time for myself you know i there've also been times and and i know this podcast is about design and my career but on a personal note i disappeared for a while i don't know if you remember that i just stop posting, I stopped talking to anyone. I had gotten divorced and my life felt like it was just falling apart. And so I had to retreat, you know, and and that's an example I think of of how sometimes life's moments can impact our ability to propel to propel ourselves. And it's okay. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to rest. It's okay to make time for myself. You know, I had to to do that. So now in terms of motivation and and doing things, I try to think about these overarching goals not as things in in mass, meaning, hey, this is a big deal. I'm trying to, I don't want to make myself accountable to all your listeners. So I won't be specific about those goals, but I'm trying to get this done, this thing. Okay. I can fixate on that and stress myself out, or I can say, hey, today I'm going to learn how to produce a song on my new MPC live that I bought. Cool. And this ladders up to a greater goal that shall not be named, but <laughs> I, I try to break things down into small tasks. And then I, I also find that I, I get a sense of fulfillment from accomplishing these small things that is sustainable, that can propel me forward. Whereas if I focus on the larger thing and I, you know, miss the mark or I'm late or something, then it's a bit harder or it, it's discouraging, right? So having smaller things to do is encouraging and that that does help propel me. The other thing I would say is just making sure that whatever you're doing is a passion, you know. There's there's a difference between passion and profession. Sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. I'm I'm fortunate to be in a position where my passion is what I do and so it's easy to to push myself, but I do have those days, and I do have those times where I don't want to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really great that you picked it up again after that pause you you, you took, and I think that's great. I'm um, what I also really like is what you said about making yourself publicly accountable, right? I mean, you called this website sketchaday.com. So, you know, there was <laughs> it was even the domain. So there's like no choice really, right? Yeah. Uh, you have the, okay. We're you have
0: expecting to, something new every day.
1: Yeah. You have to, you have no choice. Super interesting. So n-
0: now it's more like sketch a few times a week, Yeah, but I do try and post at least a story or something every day to my Instagram specifically.
1: Uh, what I also really like, you know, about designers learning visualizations is th- there's great power in that as a designer. I think Actually, a power that we I think often underestimate that we can actually drive a lot of impact with visualization. I think nowadays I think of course designers want to be involved also in the strategic discussion and want to you know to participate in in that conversation. I think that's a really important aspect as well. But I think it's easy to it's easy to underestimate the value that a core skill like visualization actually brings to the role of designers. I with, within the podcast talked to many you know design leaders that. Said you know, when they are in a meeting with, you know, other stakeholders, the ability to sketch out something quickly, visualize something quickly within a discussion or, you know, working with other stakeholders, there's so much great power in that. And I think it's so important that designers, we keep that skill alive and use it.
0: Yeah, the I've been asked or I've had similar topics come up before. And the way I the way I like to express it is my pursuit of sketch excellence is not... An objective in which I see myself putting together "quote unquote" hot sketches for clients all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not it.
1: Yeah.
0: However, and I assume that you're bilingual, or maybe I shouldn't assume that. Maybe you speak three, four, five languages. How many languages do you speak? Uh, just two. Okay, just two. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to have a conversation in in the language of your choosing if you have an expansive vocabulary, right? And visual communication competence is about making sure my my pursuit anyways, is about making sure that I have the most extensive vocabulary that I have, so that I can speak articulately and pointedly, and communicate ideas and concepts. Again, that that quote that I shared, (laughs) if you can't communicate your ideas, basically, what's the point? So being able to sketch a hot car robot, whatever, it's fun. It's cool. People like it. But In reality, most of my sketching is (laughs) on the order of a doodle or scribble. Yeah, yeah. When I when I was in my my UX role, a lot of uh, the activities that I would be engaged in were, and it's it's such a magical thing when you're in a meeting, you're in a room, you're with a client, and there is a verbal conversation that magically gets translated on a whiteboard into bits of information. I see some post-it notes behind you, you know, things like that. You know, to be able to do that quickly and articulately, if you will requires me to push my visual communication skills to the limits
1: yeah exactly you know because you know everyone in this room maybe has something different in their in their mind right when they speak about a certain topic but i think you know as designers we can bring this quickly to a whiteboard, piece of paper or a a post-it and then can basically show it to everyone is that what we mean Is that what everyone, you know, sees here, right? And, you know, that doesn't always have to be right, but I think it's, it's, it's almost like about fading quickly, right? And, and kind of articulating and making this tangible to people so we can have a discussion around it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm such a designer and visual communicator that even, even as I have conversations with friends, sometimes, you know, hanging out, drinking some whiskey, whatever, I'll grab a piece of paper and say, this is what I mean about dating, or this is what I mean about parenting. And I'll draw something so that we can all coalesce around the topic and agree and say, oh, okay, cool. Now I understand the concept because you know, fundamentally for me, and maybe, maybe this, this is uh, exposing the common thread here, but I, I do believe that design is communication in the sense that we listen to clients or users, uh, consumers, humans, we identify needs and we close those gaps. And there's a process of communication there. Being able to listen, being able to speak, whether it's through visual communication or the physical manifestation of a prototype, or it might be a digital prototype, or it might be a paper prototype, right? It's, it's all about communicating. So, and that's important because as humans, we we live in our own worlds, essentially. A friend and I were having a conversation the other day, and they said that, and this is from another friend of theirs, but I love this, this idea, that we exist as a thousand versions of ourselves, to a thousand people. And what's, what's pointed about that for me or important is remembering that I can't just assume that if I speak or say something that the other person will get it. I have to create something that we can agree on, that we can both look at, understand, interpret, if you will, and make sure that our interpretations are matched and equal, uh, that, that they are equitable.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is super interesting. Can you maybe talk more about maybe stories that you had throughout your career where you maybe were in meetings, we had projects where by the power of quick visualization, you were actually able to drive change within a project or impact, or actually just moments in a career where you really saw that, you know, you could drive a lot of impact with that.
0: I'll give two examples, one being a bad example and one being good. So in some ways, and it's taken me years to learn this, that Sometimes when you put together a hot sketch for a client, as impressed as they may be with the idea, it's all about the quality of the idea, but even elements of that sketch or visualization can be distracting. So we had a client, this is when John and myself had Studio T-minus and we presented a deck of sketches. There were servers that were meant to drive large stadium sized displays, things like that. And we put together these like hot, sexy sketches with highlights and all the tricks, you know, all the gloss and tricks that you would you'd put onto a sketch at the time. And I remember sitting there with our client and he just was hung up on this one sketch in particular. And we're like, hey, you know, what do you think? And he's like, I just can't get over this. What did why is there a hole in the product? <laughs> and that, and we were just kind of looking at each other, thinking, what, what is he talking about, a hole? And he's like, yeah, the little triangle on this flat surface was the top of a, a server. And we, we just, it finally clicked for us. Oh, you don't recognize that as a highlight. Okay. So <laughs> just a bad example of, you know, when you lean too heavily into those visual communication tricks, it can be problematic and distracting. <laughs> and it goes back to that, concept as mentioning about we live in our own worlds and it's not always easy to bridge those gaps in communication on the flip side which is interesting as my career progressed and i found myself in a corporate setting where i was required to work with people of varying disciplines who granted would not be able to perhaps use the same words or at least i couldn't assume that sketch meant the same thing you know I, i quickly learned for example that sketch was an app as well Cool. Okay. UI sketch is different than an industrial design sketch, you know, things like that. But specifically driving change, it it wasn't so much about driving change as it was being the connective tissue, if you will, or the connector between many teams. I remember being in, this just happened in many instances in a meeting where you have uh, engineers who would work on a platform backend. You had front-end engineers. We would have UX designers, ID representation in a meeting, product management, program, uh, MEEE, right? Full team. And in discussing an experience, because it was work was no longer about okay, how can I make this the best singular product? It was working within an ecosystem, or even considering the different facets of product, or at least companion products to help support the experience. But being able to just be in that meeting, and uh, inevitably I, I would become that person who would hop up to the whiteboard. Okay, let's talk about the process. And my sketching became, you know, somewhat process oriented. But being able to map things out, if you will, in a way that we could all go, oh, now I understand how this works. You know, cool. Engineers, you are talking about you're talking about subsystems and and systems running on your servers. You know, wherever. Cool. I just I just want to be able to visualize this in a way that we all are on the same page. And that became a really powerful tool and a really transformative experience for me as I realized as well, like, yeah, I don't need to do the hot sketches all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah i mean it can be distracting sometimes at an early stage right so if you're still trying to figure out more of the conceptual issues and uh, but yeah thanks for sharing the uh, story super powerful but it's also interesting is that throughout your career when you were touching it in the beginning already you've also started to work in ux design right yes most of your career you were actually in industrial design so how did you transfer your knowledge and your skills towards ux i'm pretty sure that, you know, it's, it's very easy to use, you know, most of that skills that you have built up in the industry and obviously also in that role. But can you maybe talk more about how you leveraged your background and all your expertise basically in that new environment and with all the new challenges?
0: <clears throat> so I, and I appreciate the, the clarification because I, d- I don't consider myself a UI designer and I think those are two different things. It's been, it's been interesting coming from an industrial design background. And I don't mean this in a way to put down anyone, but it was a curious thing to observe and realize that, oh, there are product designers that don't design physical things. Wow, this is interesting. So that's the first thing. And the the way I like to answer this is is to point out that industrial designers essentially are, are like the original UX designers. And if you think about it... Many of the products, the interactions, the experiences, if you will, that users had were with physical products and artifacts. And as the world has become more digital, there has been this need for UX, UI designers. So all that is to say that as an industrial designer, we have the skills, we have the tools to understand people's needs, to understand processes, to understand how to build good experiences, even if they're digital. And so, all that is to say, industrial designers have the tools, the knowledge, the skills to maintain curiosity, to observe how people interact with products, to see the unsaid need in a person's experience, and to close that gap, right? We do it through physical artifacts, objects, many times. But applying myself in a, in a, digital context wasn't that difficult. I didn't love the implementation side of that, meaning, you know, the the building UI elements and things like that, but I could, I could hack together paper prototypes or even flows and or mock websites, things like that, because I was more interested in, uh, perceptions and outcomes than I was the actual aesthetic of the experience. But I found that the transition wasn't that difficult. Hey, can you maintain some curiosity? Can you ask questions that unearth needs? Can you participate in research processes with the research team? Absolutely. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult for me to, to make mm-hmm. that jump.
1: Yeah, super interesting. And I mean, when it comes to you know sketching, I mean, regardless if it's UX design or industrial design, right? I mean, UX design might be more the wireframe or the system drawings that you do. Um, and industrial design might be more the doodles that you do from a product. It's, it's all about, you know, it's, it's a tool to fasten up also the process with the other stakeholders to quickly align, bring up ideas quickly and yeah, basically boost creativity, but then also, you know, speed up the process basically. Uh, because it's way quicker than fully flashing out an ui or f- fully going to 3d rendering right if you are still basically on the space in the project where you're trying to figure things out conceptually so i think there's a great actually a great overlap i think
0: but yeah i've I, you know i've i had those experiences and i i took more of a leadership role you know building out apps and experiences trying to even conceptualize Okay, what is it we're actually trying to do here in terms of this digital experience one of those in particular so as i got the opportunity to work on ux ui things there was a after as, as i was a part of the startup that got acquired we kind of we saw ourselves as like pirates renegades within the company but in particular we wanted to create an additional experience for this hardware product that we had it was called the space monkey at the time it became the vivint smart drive and it was a data storage product but we saw an opportunity to create some added value for the company this iot company they had cameras so hey here's an experience let's create a dvr video uh, playback if you will experience for this home security offering the company had a rudimentary experience but they hadn't really considered if you're storing footage, like large amounts of footage, how do you find what you need? How do you scrub through this? What are the controls? Uh, what What is the experience? How does this fit into the greater app? So it wasn't hard for me as you know, transitioning from an industrial designer into this UX role to then be able to have these conversations and even build this prototype myself. And it was a really fun experience for me because... We had two offices two buildings if you will two locations and i would hide out at the second location because we were trying to do this undercover almost um so as not to expose it to the greater organism of the company companies are like organisms and sometimes when something foreign shows up the antibodies come out and they try to squash it right so we wanted to my boss at the time wanted to give me some space to do that and it was awesome you know i I used whatever tools I had and it wasn't so much that I was using sketch. I don't think I even did at the time. It was illustrator and key uh, keynote to create these mock-ups to say, okay, here's what we've been working on. Here's the experience. And we then were able to use those assets in research to validate our thinking. It was awesome, you know, and, and as I reflect back on the process, it's not that much different than, Hey, as an industrial designer, You're going to sketch something or you're going to take some foam board or paper or whatever, you know, popsicle sticks, whatever you have to mock up an experience or a thing that people can experience, get the feedback, refine your thinking and move on. Right. So in essence, those skills were, I was able to easily translate those into this, this particular UX project.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense. And I think it's, you see that with a lot of people that are studying industrial design or sometimes even interaction design that, you know, sometimes they work on the on the edge between digital and physical designs more and more. I In uh, one of the past episodes, I talked to uh, Bilgi Karan, who is working at IKEA. They're working on digital slash physical products as well. And it's like hard to break the, find the boundaries there because it's it's all coming together. You have to think about both things kind of on the same at the same time, so I I find that also interesting from a, a general trend perspective. That I think these two areas becoming closer and closer in a lot of industries and areas. I think what's also interesting is that you've um, got a lot of experience in you know consulting. Then you started your own thing with your colleague, and then again. Uh, went in-house for some time and then now basically you said you started your own thing again you know many designers think about starting their own thing uh, sometimes how do you what would be your advice for designers that think about going independent, uh, starting their own agency or going freelance what would be your advice for designers that are interested in entrepreneurship and you know going independent
0: man there's there's so many thoughts that come to mind it's hard to (laughs) identify one thing So. One of my blind spots was, I didn't know how hard it is <laughs> or would be to go your go on your own. You know, uh, working for a company affords you certain comforts, at least here in the United States, it's a little bit different around the world. Things like insurance or legal help, things like that might be a little bit diff- difficult or different as opposed to working for a company where those things are given. Having to essentially function in a variety of roles, on your own, I have to market myself. I have to do my own accounting. I function as project manager, product manager, and also industrial design, point of contact, UX. You know, there's, it, you have to be able to, for lack of a better expression, wear a lot of different hats or participate in all these roles. So it's difficult in that sense. And I think uncertainty becomes the path. It's like every day for a while, I would have a panic attack on every Tuesday. I remember just as I could just feel it swelling up, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. So I've had to give myself little reminders, you know, breathe. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Just be passionate. That's the process. Things like that. Because uncertainty is the way forward. That's just uncertainty becomes certainty. If you will, uncertainty is certain. That's a better way of saying it. And unpredictability. I would say be as... Multidisciplined as you can be say no to make room for yes you know don't be afraid to say no to a project if you don't feel like it's a good fit for you which can be hard if you're just starting out and you don't have the means to say no because you want to make money so i'm and i'm going to contradict myself and say yes where it makes sense even if you find that there's a gap in your skills be willing to learn be willing to adapt be willing to take on the challenge and just say yep i will do it You know, my next bit of advice, don't be a dick. Don't be, (laughs) don't be a jerk because I find that most of the work I get now, I'm not having to push for and cold call people come to me and I can trace that back to sketch a day. We come full circle where I did a thing, not with the intention of saying 20 years from now or 15 years from now, I'm going to be bringing in work, but here I am because of that. People know who I am and it's, it's easy to connect with people. It's easy for me to find opportunities. So understand it's gonna be a hustle. Know that, or know the importance rather of, hey, being able to video edit. You may not have thought that was a skill you need to learn in school or as a designer. Learn how to do After Effects. Hey, what's this Adobe Audition product? Could I get into that? Uh, there might be some opportunity there. So learn as much as you can. Expose yourself to a variety of disciplines. You know, that photography class you took in college might come in handy. You could take photos of your products or eventually end up uh, selling assets online. There's lots of things you can do if you maintain sharpness in a variety of skills. Be a good person, like I said, (laughs) and remember that the relationships you form early on can sometimes pay dividends later on. I, I have a regular client now That has become a big part of my uh, income. And I can trace that back to, again, sketch a day, but also some interactions that I had with this friend of mine now that I had over 10 years ago. And there was a gap and they remembered me and they said, hey, would you be interested in doing this one thing? And then I said, yes, even though I was nervous, (laughs) I said, yes, I'll do it. And I did it and now it's become a thing, you know, and I've been able to sharpen my skills and invest in my studio here. And, uh, for example, and better equipment and make improvements. So, that's, that's my bit of advice. If you're, if you're going to go into this, you know, be pragmatic, be optimistic, um, be strategic and certainly be willing to learn.
1: Yeah. Never burn bridges. I think it's interesting to see what you also said that how the connects the dots connect backwards. Sometimes you can trace things back. Many years ago, because you built that relationship to that person or had that meeting, uh, I think that's, that's always super interesting.
0: I guess one other bit of advice is it's easy to get off balance when you do your own thing. It's easy to bury yourself in your work. You may find yourself working every day of every week. And there was a period of time where that was the case for me. Now I now I work maybe two to three days a week where I'd consider like I'm actually working, working. And I like that. It's a good balance for me you can work as much or as little as you want, but find your balance, find what works for you. And the reason for that in my case is I'm a full-time single parent. So I have to, you know, take care of my kids and make sure I maintain and foster that relationship and finding that balance, you know, uh, between working on my own projects, client projects, but also uh, making time for family and for life.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's very hard to keep the, the balance, especially if you start out, you there's a lot of things and a lot of things that you know kind of call for your attention and uh, a lot of opportunities to spend a lot of time on. Lastly, I would I would really like to talk shortly also about the aspect of um, the design industry itself and uh, the change that uh, has happened uh, throughout the years, or maybe the change that hasn't happened. I uh, know that you in the past year have been engaged in a lot of you know public discussions around diversity and important topics to the change in the design industry and you're a great you know, advocate for, for, for change and certain changes that need to happen. Could you outline that a little bit further for, for the audience? Uh, what are the things that you think really have to change when it comes to the design industry? What is not going well and where we have to you know, work more?
0: Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. And as you were framing the question, I had many, many thoughts, but we can start with the diversity aspect. So particularly in the United States, and I'm not sure how it is everywhere else in the world. I think there's a mindset of an ideal path of aesthetic approach process, the right way to do things that isn't necessarily representative of someone like myself where I have a different cultural background, different tastes and so forth. And I'll I'll admit something that's been been hard in, in that so I'm I'm actually from Jamaica. That's where I was born. And I remember being trained as a designer, you know, learning about the Bauhaus and historical figures and kind of even contemporary design and and the mindset there. And I didn't find representation there. I didn't see myself. And maybe that's a failing of my professors. That's not to say there, wasn't, there weren't designers of color or different ethnicities, but I certainly wasn't exposed to that. And I found myself thinking of the aesthetic sensibility of even my own culture as being less than because I was being presented this ideal that felt at odds with what I knew. It might even be something as simple as the use of color, pattern, shape, things like that. Oh no, this is this is the way you want to go about it. So I, I I have a more Americanized Western sensibility, but I've been actively trying to change that, decolonize myself, if you will. It's a popular term these days, but to undo some of that bias that I have born out of the way I was educated. That's one opportunity for change. Rather than dismissing things that don't fit into the ideal path of what good design is or <laughs> great design, you know, consider that there might be an alternative culturally speaking. So that's one aspect. The other would be representation and that one's a bit more tricky. I think opportunity is something that is it goes hand in hand with imagination, but also born, born out of observation. So growing up, I didn't know many black designers, for example, I didn't, I went to a school actually where I was the only black design student in my industrial design program. So that was weird. No black professors. It wasn't until a field trip where I went to Chicago and we visited Insight Product Development and I met someone, I'm still friends with him today, Antonio Beltran. And he changed my life because he was a black designer and I thought, wow, okay, there are people like me. I'm not, I'm not weird. I'm not you know, that different. So representation matters. It matters because it, it ignites the imagination of those who may not fit the mold of standard career paths or trajectories in life. Being a designer is a weird thing. And being able to see that there are successful people of color doing this design thing is is amazing it's it's as impactful as say the president of the united states barack obama being elected and for us realizing oh okay someone that looks like me can be in this position cool so how do we affect that change and what do i hope for i I hope that me showing up and showing off which is another maxim or mantra that I have show up and show off you know don't don't hide yourself for a long time I don't know if you remember Sebastian for a long time I didn't show my face on camera I didn't no one knew what I looked like outside of a picture I would even do videos and not show my face and a friend well two things happened one friend who also runs another YouTube channel former car designer said hey you should consider a two camera setup <clears throat> you know show your face and I was super nervous But the other was Brett Lovelady, um, who you mentioned you've you've had on your show, who said to me, you know, Spencer, you're unique. You've got something to offer by virtue of who you are, whether you like it or not, you are different. (laughs) You know, your culture, your background, the way you think you're different, you know, show up and show off, show the world who you are, um, make an impact. So making that change at a fundamental level is going to take time. But it's going to take people like myself and others, and I hope we realize the opportunity here to show up as successful designers, to advocate for advocate for arts education, even or uh, showing showing at a very fundamental level that my career, your career, is a possibility for people. Challenging the ideas of of what good design aesthetic is, you know, is this fundamentally a thing? Or, and are we, are we dismissing, um, approaches, aesthetics because of bias, because of how we were taught and is the way we were taught actually inclusive, or is it meant to create a narrow perception of what is good and accepted? Cool. Open questions, no answer there specifically, but I think there's an opportunity. Other ways I find or think that design should or could change is, and this goes both for digital design and physical design is I hope that designers can, and I don't know, maybe this is just a, a byproduct of longevity in your career. I as an industrial designer, I found myself conflicted. I'm still I mean I still do industrial design, but I'm not, you know, day in, day out industrial designer, much like yourself. And I I found myself at conflict with my values and the impact of the products I was creating. Right. Okay. I've, I've gone through this process. I've made a product or uh, been on this project for 18 months. We've launched a product and then I forget about it. But then you realize, and there comes a moment sometimes in your career where you see one of the things you made in the trash, or <laughs> you may visit a landfill and you realize, oh shit, we are pumping out a lot of stuff that is actually doing harm. How do I feel about this? And how, how can I reconcile my values with this outcome. That became challenging for me. And what I mean to say is, I hope that as designers, we can become more aware of our impact, All right? So that's a physical sense. But I would I would argue on the, the UX front, you know, with <laughs> certain companies, I won't call them out by name, but certain companies, oh, I guess I can, I don't know, maybe you'll get sued, maybe not. Facebook, for example, you, if you're, If you have a ux background and you actually pay attention to how they do certain things in their app you'll realize that there are lots of dark ui patterns baked into their apps and it makes you wonder what's what's the intention there you know i I love reverse engineering processes i love trying to (laughs) figure out why someone's doing something there is a psychological effect that sometimes is baked into these processes and I, i and so on the digital side i would say can we be more conscious about how and why we do things and the impact these things may have on people? So, all of this is to say, I hope that as designers and as an industry, we can become more conscious and aware. And not only that, but actually advocate. You know, are we willing to speak up when an opportunity presents itself? And I, I have in the past, and I'll share a story with you. There was an experience that was being proposed. I wasn't on this project, but there was an experience being proposed. And in the United States, there, there's a lot of, at least in, from the perspective of people of color, there are many incidents with law enforcement that make you question why people like myself are being targeted and why the response seems different, okay? And that's eroded trust with law enforcement. We have a different relationship here than, particularly with people of color, than other parts of the world or even with white Caucasian friends. <laughs> So this project was being worked on that would involve connecting local law enforcement with residents and their cameras on their home security cameras. But not only that, but then within this circle of friends, the circle of influence, having an actual police officer able to communicate with the neighborhood or the people, if you will. So this is being presented in a meeting and I'm just my, my anxiety is peaking. I'm just thinking this is the worst idea I've ever heard from my perspective, from their perspective, which again goes back to this whole idea of we live in our own worlds, in our own context. They're thinking, no, this is awesome. I love the cops. And I'm thinking this is a complete effing nightmare. So I raise my hand and I say, have we have we actually thought about this? Have you have you presented this to people of color? Because the last thing I want is a close relationship with a police officer. I don't want anything to do with them. That's just my context and paradigm here in the United States. So there's an example, I think, of you know, being more considerate about the impact of the things we do as UX designers, because you've created a nightmare situation for me. I mean, certainly I can opt out of this experience, but By opting out of the experience, I lose the entire benefit of uh, and promise of the product. You know, it's not to say the entire experience was terrible. It's just this one thing, you know. So moving forward as a profession of designers, I think considering our impact environmentally, psychologically, you know, what is the human capital that we're spending in creating things? And is that okay?
1: I mean, there are so many things I would like to drill into <laughs> that you just pointed out. It's so interesting. I mean, you, you touched, um, I think, about two topics. One was the topic about diversity, the other one about outcome. Yeah, I mean, I find that super interesting what you're pointing out to the secondary, to the outcome part. For instance, I was talking to uh, Matt Wallot in one of the recent episodes, and he's a behavior scientist. And he uh, talks about uh, how products drive behavior and how you can basically align an organization around the target behavior you want to create. So he talks about the behavior vision board that should be shared within the company. And everyone knows what are the behaviors we want to create for people. I right, should be positive uh, behaviors you want to create for people because then everyone in a company can work towards these behaviors there can be also really negative sides like you see in one of the recent Netflix movies uh, Social Dilemma I don't know if you uh, heard about it and you know there are books around uh, that topic as well and uh, you I think also in one of the the talks uh, you had recently you talked about that also in an industrial design sense that as designers we can't disconnect ourselves to the material decisions and the uh, Sustainability aspects of a product as well. Like it's it's not just about yeah, it's uh, you know, what it's, the, how the product looks, but we are part of that process.
0: Yeah, it, it's important to understand what we're doing. <laughs> you know, as a student, I just thought, oh wow, I get to make cool shit. This will be fun. And then you graduate and you see stuff end up in the trash, and you're like, oh man, wow, I did that. You know, I've created a problem. And it's a curious thing too, as in, from an industrial design. Perspective. I'm glad we can talk about both sides of this, that we're essentially creating crack for people like addictive things, you know, desirable ob- objects of desire, you know, that that promise to solve a problem or appeal to some aspirational value that we have or express something about ourselves. And the better we are at our job, the more people are going to buy that thing. But the more people that buy that thing, the more the problem compounds itself, you know, so it's kind of this like paradox or conundrum, if you will, that I've had to reconcile on the, the topic of behavior, you mentioned something interesting that I also recognized on a UX front, which is to say in both the digital and physical components I was working on, we created experiences that in effect, like the promise we were trying to sell to our clients or not clients, but customers is peace of mind. But in creating additional awareness about our surroundings, am I actually delivering peace of mind or am I am I creating a, a situation of paranoia or anxiety? You know, so notifications became a thing, you know, hey, we've got to be better and more careful and, and intentional about notifications. We have to become smarter about, say, camera analytics and make sure that when you say a person is standing outside your house. Can you even drill a bit deeper through computer vision and analytics to say, okay, this person's actually a threat or they're unfamiliar? Because that's really what I care about. I don't care if someone's outside my house walking their dog along the sidewalk, but if you present that notification, it peaks or it's it spikes my uh, stress, anxiety, which can have adverse effects on someone's health. The more you know, is not always the 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 better option here. So that, that became an interesting experience for me as I considered, wow, there are secondary effects to the things that we create that sometimes can have negative impacts on people in approximate direct sense, but also in a long term sense for the world at large.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Super interesting. Yeah, I found it interesting that you said it's not always good to know more, right? It's not just about like pushing more information to the user. Maybe also quickly around the first aspect that you point on diversity, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that's, if you think about design and aerospace-like design thinking actually strives on the idea of diversity in ideas and opinions around a topic, but then still we are lacking that in the design world when it comes to celebrating out like design outcomes but then also people i think um, still so much you know even though it, we have it in the process sometimes we don't have it so much when we talk about you know um, great design or uh, outside designers one thing i find interesting for example talking or working with chinese designers or you know, on the, if you work with other markets uh, is that for example like emerging markets like uh, you know, China. They and you can see this in other emerging markets as well. Everyone is for a long time and still is to most degree um, going towards the direction of Western design, minimal design, um, and like there's a certain a certain um, design direction people try to steer their design towards. But I think as these 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 areas of the world become more Proud also around the things they achieve as a country and the the, the culture and the, the place they have in the world, you start to see that changing a little bit. So you know, I think if you look at you know markets like India and China, you see that they're also starting to be more proud around their own design aesthetics and and and. And can articulate it, basically, and you know, bring that also to the conversation, which is a very interesting thing to 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 work with, uh, because especially if you have to work with a global product, for example. But I think that's a I think a positive change. And I mean, the other point you pointed out around role models, uh, when it's around, I think we need to celebrate um, more diversity when it comes to the aesthetics, but then also the kind of design outcomes that get created, but also the role models. I find this and, you know, role models are so connected to what you said, possibilities. It's kind of connected to sketching in a way because sketches (laughs) show possibilities, right? Yeah. I think that's full circle there. But, you know, if you have role models and if you have these things that are celebrated within the design uh, industry, um, that shows possibility. Like I say, I find this very inspiring and I think this is, goes especially to design institutions and you know design awards I know that Hector is in the course seven, seven design jury so let's see basically that's a the,
0: start you know I, I think yeah. even with design design awards are an interesting topic and we could have a whole podcast episode about that I'm sure but uh, interesting in the sense that you know I would love to see and I'll just use Core 77 and IDSA as, as examples, a specific award related to, hey, you qualify for this award if your team is more than 50% people of color or women or people who identify other than the majority in design. And that's not to say we're giving you a favor here. It's creating equity. You know, if if the majority of people are hetero um, anglo white designers statistically if if i'm in that pot of people it's hard for me to create awareness and attention yes i can work hard whatever but statistically they're also working hard they're gonna have good designs creating a category like that would be interesting And i, I actually made a note here i'm gonna take it take it to these these uh companies entities and say hey you might consider an award like this to create an equitable uh playing field if you will you know, hey, we have a team of of all women designers, cool. You you qualify for this category. Um I think things like that are important to help elevate and create awareness as you as you said because awareness can can ignite people's imagination. Wow, I didn't know this existed. You know, I didn't I didn't know there was a black designer or I didn't know there were successful women designers at the the head of of uh, design teams. I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying putting on the mantle or or, uh, imagining I'm a child, for example, and seeing these things, I think it's a powerful concept. And yeah, we need to show up and show off where possible.
1: I mean, talking about, you know, designer walls and large design institutions, designers, obviously these are people that can drive a lot of change when it comes to that. But I think we can also do more on, let's say, on the, the bigger playing field and sort of the everyday designer. So maybe this is the last question. What would be your your advice for normal everyday designers, basically, to contribute more towards that change and what, you know, they can do?
0: I think w- one thing that I find frustrating is if if I share an experience or a person of color, a minority in, in all sense of the word, shares something and it's dismissed without consideration, it's frustrating because... And it's frustrating in the sense that it makes you question your sanity almost. <laughs> if if I say, hey, it, it feels like my ideas keep getting passed up, but in, a, in looking at my work and, and my, my teammates' work, they seem equal. What's the difference here? But if my stuff's always being dismissed, it makes me wonder, you know, does this have something to do with me, my personality, my Blackness? I don't know. So my point in saying this is, on an individual level, create opportunities, or not create opportunities, make space to listen. Just (laughs) pause and listen before you react, before you dismiss, before you say, that's not how it is, just listen. Just listen, observe, and then ask yourself, what if this is how it is? What does that mean? And I think that'll expose opportunities for change. Hey, my coworker feels like she's not being heard. Okay, I might think, well, I'm always heard, so that's not the case. But instead you could pause and think, okay, What if she's not being heard? What does this mean? It means that I'm being given opportunities to speak up. My opportunity here now is to say if our work is equitable, take some time or opportunity to promote, push, work together in tandem with this person to help elevate their work because you're in a position of influence and you have an opportunity to speak up on behalf of this person or at least use that influence, that equity for good right so on an individual level i think being more aware listening and seeing those opportunities is what i would recommend
1: awareness empathy and then also doing and speaking up uh, participate not uh silently just listen to it yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing that, Spencer. It was amazing talking to you. I would love to continue to talk to you about all of this. I know, this so, so so many
0: so many thoughts and topics for sure. Yeah,
1: but. yeah, absolutely. But uh, we have to wrap it up uh, because of time. Thank you so much for taking the time being on the Design Drus Podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. It's been fun. It's been a
1: pleasure. And I, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode make sure you give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments about taking me in a pause what were the biggest learnings for you in the episode. I'm always super curious about that. If the episode provided you a lot of value make sure to follow and subscribe and share it with friends or others so they also have the chance to learn and grow themselves.